Welcome to The Crunch with Crib Creative. I'm Jess, and each week we're going to be diving into the stories of some of Perth's best agents and business people, how they got where they are, and what they learned along the way. So today we're welcoming Peter Clements to The Crunch. Peter is the founder of Mint Real Estate and the director of Mint Real Estate Claremont, uh, which recently took home Australia's Small Residential Agency of the Year at the Real Estate Institute of Australia Awards um, in both 2017 and in 2018. Uh, And Peter himself also won Residential Salesperson of the Year at those same awards this year. Peter is also the co-founder of Open Negotiation, a transparent online bidding process that assisted in the sale of $100 million worth of property last year after only launching in April. Um, And so as a successful agent, business owner and entrepreneur, we wanted to find out what drives Peter and how he fits everything into his day. So welcome, Peter. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for your time. So tell me what motivates you because you are juggling so many balls and constantly obviously pushing the boundaries and um you know i see that you're you're doing some coaching a little bit of coaching as well so yeah what what motivates you um it's uh i think it is really about having our industry be the best it can possibly be i love real estate and i love i love the industry i think there's a lot of fantastic agents out there um I think we can. I think we can have an industry where we're trusted, and going from the bottom three percent trusted, at least trusted people, we can at least get to the middle mm-hmm. um, <laughs> as as agents. And and it, all it all it is, and, and I'm not saying that there's there's distrust or agents are distrusted in, in itself. It's the process that we've had to use in the past is distrusted, because because we've never been able to be honest with people about what the other people's offers are. That in itself gives a distrust from the buyer. They sit there and they go, "Well, why can't you tell me? I just want to know." And now that's that's gone. So, motive, what motive, I mean, obviously, um, being able to feed my family and keep all my staff in um, in a job, and um, but I really love helping people. I love helping owners get a really great result. I love helping buyers get their house of their dreams. Yeah. Um, and I, I really do want to help agents become incredibly good at what they do. And what would you say to agents, rookies starting out, you know, it, it's going to be tougher. They do have to write to keep their job now. Mm-hmm. What would you say to those agents who are just getting started in the industry? Um, I'd say go and do some training. Yeah. Like don't don't just let your principal train you mm-hmm. because your principal might be a really great bloke, but he might actually not be that um, skillful now in a, in a new era of, um, of technology and, and dialogue and that sort of thing. So go and do Lee Woodward's um, complete salesperson course. You know, whatever is out, th- th- that would probably be a first. Mm-hmm. Go and spend 1400 bucks, invest in yourself. Um, and what else? Don't give up. Make sure you've got enough money to be able to at least sustain yourself for 12 months. Mm-hmm. And, and do all of the hard things first. Because most agents will um, do the easy roles or the easy jobs first of every day. The hard ones, the door knocking, the making the cold calls, the um, following up buyers that you thought were angry with you, all of those sort of things are the ones that actually make you money. Yeah. Going and having coffee with people and putting flyers in letter in, in letter boxes and stuff does not do anything for you. Yeah. Um, all it does is have a whole lot of money get wasted because it's belly to belly or being right up front with people and meeting them and pressing the flesh, all those old-fashioned things is what will have someone remember you. Give people stuff for nothing. Give um, your area that you're trying to break into, don't give them 
cake recipes and and <laughs> and calendars and stuff. Give them information that's going to help them sell their house for a better price. And don't be afraid of holding back because we're in a new world now where people recognize other people trying to help. Mm-hmm. And that's as well what, where I've broken through. Can you imagine in the first days of doing open negotiation, all we wanted to do was keep it to ourselves. Um, but the day that we woke up and said, no, nah, if we can actually help people and make the world better, that's when everyone's going to win from it. Mm-hmm. And there is, there is a world of abundance where everything can be win, win, win. And there doesn't have to be a loser out there. And, um, and just be generous because if you're generous and care about your buyers and your sellers and just care about you being the best you can, as a new agent, you will not fail. Mm-hmm. How do you um, look at yourself as an agent or as a business person? What, what would you consider your brand to be? Um, uh, as, a, as a business person, I'm always trying to get better. I, I will never, ever think that we're doing it the best. Um, I don't look around at other people and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's that's the most um, soul-destroying thing that you can do is compare yourself to other people. You've just got to set your goals and go for it. Um, as a brand at Mint, we like to think we're an agile brand, mm-hmm. that we um, that we can keep up with the big guys. In fact, I think we outperform some of the big guys from, from, uh, from a point of being um, technologically up-to-date, always learning, Great marketing. Um, did that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. guess, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, what's something that you kind of come up against? You're, you seem like a very positive person, very um, have a very positive attitude. What's something that you come up against all the time? And maybe you can maybe open negotiation came out of this and, and you've solved it, but whether it's from clients or colleagues or other people in, in the industry that you don't agree with, something you hear all the time that... I think we've just got a really bitchy industry. Um, You know, I think most very, you know, big money industries are. Um, You go to some parts of Perth and they're just so friendly and all the agents get on. Certainly um, there there are other parts where it is, you know, it is scary that when you're putting your A-frame home open sign out, you always look for traffic to make sure that no one's going to run you over and that being another another agent. (laughs) Um, but no, I mean, I, I suppose it would be lovely if everyone was a bit nicer. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, for those nice people of you that are listening, I'm not talking to you. And for those assholes, you know who I'm talking about as well. Um, but no, it's, I'm sorry I said that, but, um, but the, but the industry as a whole, I think, um, just needs improving. I just think that there is that transparency that it will come. Like we are going into a new age of technology and the agents that don't embrace technology will get left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, auctions, I think, will live forever because they've got this beautiful sort of street theatre that happens. But I actually uh, see that when someone does normal private treaty, they're potentially leaving money on the table because no one knows how much the other person's paying, if it's mm-hmm. less or more. Mm-hmm. Um, did that answer the question? Yeah, yeah, it did. It did. And a little bit of drama in there too, which I like. <laughs> I guess I'm really interested to hear how you got started in real estate. Um, so, yeah, I, it, I, I, it was a second start for me. When I uh, initially was going to get into real estate, I was about 21 and I'd been in hospitality for a very long time. Uh, I started working in pubs and, and bars when I was about 17 okay. um, from a yardie and upwards. But uh, I 
decided to go into real estate first time. I did my course and then at the end of it, I thought, no, I'm not ready. I didn't have enough, I don't think, experience in, in the world. Mm-hmm. So I got back into the hospitality industry and, and did more sales. And so um, my background was sales for a long time, but mainly mainly in pubs. And after 18 years in pubs and clubs and restaurants, I, um, I was married and my uh, ex-wife now uh, was sick of the late nights. Mm-hmm. So... I got out of real estate. I got out of um, pubs and clubs and started in real estate. And I started with Acton back then, and that was uh, 14 years ago. So, um, had a, uh, my my lifelong friend was the principal uh, there now. So, well, sorry, he's left now. He's got his own business, but Henry Willis, and um, he kind of helped me get going and making my first couple of sales. Uh, but then I ended up um, changing. I went to an Eric once and then got poached mm-hmm. by Cape Horn and Young on the plane back then. And uh, and went into a uh, you know Cape Horn Young was a much different company. It was um, very high on training back then, and and um, it was an awesome small little team. And uh, I learned a lot there about becoming more of a sales uh, system because they they had systems there that, that weren't available at any other companies back then. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's got those systems now, but yeah. Um, but yeah. So of so how long had you been with Acton before you were poached by Cape on Young? It was only um, about a year and a half. You must have been pretty impressive in that first year and a half. No, well, I think um, I, I think at that stage I'd only done about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in gross commission for the year. So in in real estate terms, that's you know okay for a rookie. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd sort of pulled off the rookie award uh, in that year. But um, but I had sort of grand schemes, and I think when the um, the principal of Cape Horn Young was sitting next to me, he was thinking, well, yeah, this guy sounds as though he could be good. But really, it was after I'd done a Lee Woodward course, and uh, and it was Michael Sheargold was also the trainer there at Cape Horn Young. Um, that's when things really got going for me because I started to see real estate on a holistic nature. And when you start to understand all of the things that are involved to be a good real estate agent and can put them together and have training to help you um, manage all of that, that's when well, my first, I think my first year at Cape Horn Young, I wrote a million dollars in gross commission. Right. So, it, you know, it's sort difference. of, yeah. Yeah. So two starts in real estate, what kind of drew you back? What was it about the industry that, you know, there was a fair, fair time in between that made you want to go back and give it another crack? Um, I think at, at the, the point that I was 21, I still felt that it was a bit more fun out there to have and, and maybe, you know, I got lots more experience. And I think in that time there was, you know, there was probably, I think, 10 or 15 years between then and going back in. Mm-hmm. But in that time, I, I really started to, well, I, I was all sorts of sales. I was sold. Um, I was in marketing with a liquor company, with United Distillers back then. Mm-hmm. And that taught me a lot about doing deals and a lot about, you know, working with people other than just being personable at pubs, when I got into the sales side of things within the, the liquor industry and stuff, it it did teach me a lot more about um, how to put deals together and negotiating. And and I sort of loved that. But really it became an ultimatum from my um, from my ex-wife at that point. She said, <laughs> you know, it's uh, the hospitality industry or me. And I'm not a very, you know, educated person, so I didn't have that many other options. So I thought... And it, it actually, it was pretty interesting because... We were out shopping for houses at that time and we were walking into homes with these guys who were totally useless, sitting on couches, throwing us pretty ordinary looking brochures, not trying to sell at all, but they were driving really nice cars. And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, hang on a second, 
if I can offer better service and if I can just be better than these guys, I could maybe drive a nice car as well. Yeah. And um, and that was the clincher for me, I suppose, that, that, that led me back into real estate. And I thought, I've got the experience now. Let's give it a go. Yeah. Um, most people, though, and they tell they used to tell us this back in the course, at the Rewa course, um, within the 100 people that might be in the course, only five will be remaining within the first two years. And then wow. um, within another two years after that, there's only probably two or three. Yeah. And and those stats stand. I think there's out of the course that I did, there's probably one other person that I still think is actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's hard. It's really actually quite difficult because you don't... Well, things have changed now. Um, there is a... there is, You do get paid um, whether you're selling or not in your first year yep. or so. Yeah. And that award is going to be a big change of the industry, Absolutely. I think. Um, but back then, if you didn't if you didn't sell, you didn't get paid. And most people ran out of money before they got successful. Mm-hmm. And um, and luckily, like Henry Willis, when, uh, when he had me employed, he went away on holidays at about my six-month period into real estate. And he didn't think I was going to be there when I got back. But while he was away, I sold two or three properties. And, and that was it. It was yeah. I got the taste for it and I kind of got a feel for it. And I do want to come back to the minimum wage Mm -hmm. that you mentioned, but what do you think it is about um, the agents that do make it versus the agents that don't? Is it the individual? Is it the training they're receiving? Um, I guess you're an agency owner now, so what what do you look for in your rookies? I... um I think it's really hard for rookies to get in unless you're going into a company now that has got a uh, business unit and where the where the division of roles is such that people can now get in and not have to do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of real estate agents fail because they, they might be good at listing, um, but they don't know how to sell. Or they might be great at selling, but they don't know how to list. And that's what I mean. It's holistic in the way that you've got to know all of the skills to be able to put it together. Mm -hmm. Because um, back then, and that was the part for me, once I did the courses and I could see real real estate as a whole, then I thought, oh, right, this is where I've got to improve myself in different areas. And Lee Woodward's course was the best thing that I ever did because it was the only course that shows you real estate as one block and everything that's within it, including dialogue and um, scripts and all of the sort of things that you need to be successful. And then he measures you on all the parts and says, Mm -hmm. which are you good at, which aren't you good at? Mm -hmm. And so, of course, you don't work on the things you're great at. You work on the things you're bad at, and that starts to make you be a better agent. I think a lot of agents don't do training, Mm -hmm. and certainly with open negotiation, one of the things we're we're discovering is that there are a lot of unskilled agents out there. They don't have scripts. They don't have dialogues. They've never been taught. And I think that's a bummer. And the, the bummer about that is I actually think that our industry is going to you know, halve. And I think when the stats come out next year from Rewa about the number of members that have exited the industry, it's going to be spooky. Yeah, um, absolutely. Mm. Tough market definitely sorts. Well, not so much tough market, as well. but as well the, the, the minimum wage. Yeah. Because if, yeah. You, if you don't hit a certain amount, then you're gone. You can't be carried by the agency anymore. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the, the specialist versus the holistic view, I saw something actually this morning, um, and I can't remember who said it. It was one of the speakers that's going to be speaking at ARIC next week, mm-hmm. um, who did mention that he thought that was the way the industry would go, was that you would have specialists. So, you know, rather than having one agent doing everything, you'd have a team with someone who lists, someone who manages, you know, your seller. Oh, yes, yeah. uh, do you think that that's the way things are going? I think it's absolutely. I yep. think that real estate is becoming so fast moving, um, properties go stale within four weeks so mm-hmm. if it's not sold you know it's your, your vendor is actually being punished for having a, an agent there that maybe 
overpriced it or, or hasn't got the skills to sell it in a short time. And, and the, the stats now are that if a buyer sees a property on the market for more than four weeks, they expect to get a discount for mm-hmm. it. Um, so to, do, to, to actually get a property sold professionally, you need people that are great at each skill set because um, you haven't got the time to, mm-hmm. to, to waste anymore. So, you know, a buyer's manager that knows how to talk to buyers, to, to have them feel comfortable, to get them to put in offers, um, that's a very important thing. And their, their job as well isn't just being managing buyers, it's looking for opportunities to, to, of people that are going to list. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when someone says, well, you know, I'm looking to buy, but I've got a house to sell, they then pop it up to the person that's the specialist in um in listing and you know that listing person may well be a fantastic closer as well so you know the the buyer specialist might not actually be the one that closes the final deal so Mm -hmm. it's recognizing everyone's strengths and um each different team you know there's not just one perfect person for each role and within my company we split it up and say all right well you're great at this and you're great at that so i don't want you dealing there and my role has now been very much changed so that I can be more specific. And that's only been in the last probably eight weeks that we've really right. divided that. Yep. And just the, the change has been enormous. Yeah. So what is your strength? Well, my, my I mean, I love negotiating. It's, yep. it's, it's my favourite part. Um, uh, we, we use open negotiation, obviously, yep. in 95% of sales in our team. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still do everything else. So, yep. you know, we, we still do private treaty and... Um, and offers above and, and not so much auctions anymore because I think this, this new process replaces, yep. for, in my world, mm-hmm. auctions mm-hmm. Um, because you don't have then buyers miss, you know, missing out on buying just because they're subject to finance or because they can't come up with the right deposit. Mm-hmm. But um, so now what I, what I do in the home opens is I very much explain how the process works. But, you know, Caro, who works with me, she's incredible with buyers. She has them comfortable enough to be able to get them to get qualified so that they can participate in the open negotiation. So that re- works really well. So she's our buyer specialist. I'm definitely the listing person. Yeah. Um, we've got our marketing person. Um, and then we've got, you know, our people on the doors that, that do a lot of administrative stuff in the background because... Yeah. If an agent gets tied up doing administrative work, they're not actually being an agent, and um, they, you know, we need to be out talking to buyers and sellers every yeah. day. Yeah. And a lot of agents end up doing so much other stuff, yeah. which doesn't allow them to be effective for their sellers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to circle back to kind of early days, Pete. Yep. On maybe not about. I mean, you you take on so much, so many different things. You've obviously. Cho- Change roles throughout your career. What's your biggest been your biggest challenge? I suppose the biggest challenge is always learning and keeping up to date, and and not being afraid of making a few mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think early days you're really scared of of you know you you start doing something and it starts to work. And you think, oh, I can't try anything different. And, you know, I think that's a really big challenge for people. And when you, when I overcame that and thought, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to start my own business as mm-hmm. well, because I found it um, very trying within companies where I, I was trying to be creative and then you were sort of being held down because um, the egos that are involved in, in some from some principles um, doesn't allow you to be creative within their within their cocoon, yeah. and they just want they want to control everything. So, um, I suppose that was a, a bummer for me moving companies um, at, at a certain point. I mean, I had always had my eye on starting my own business, um, and 
really going into business is a scary thing, starting mm-hmm. your own company. And my business partner, Brad Glover, so we started Mint together and he started the Fremantle office, I started the Claremont office and we spent a lot of money to try and get our branding right. And that's a huge challenge, um, not for the faint-hearted mm-hmm. because most people, I think, are either a business owner or a good salesperson and we were just very lucky to have to, to be here now for six yeah. and a bit years and and to have got to the other side of it because I think you can spend a lot of money thinking that you can start your own business and it fail. Yeah, and it, you see it a lot. Yes, yeah. you do. What what was your biggest um, learning curve or challenge going from being just an agent to being a, a business owner? What have you found to be the biggest difference there? Well, I mean, we stepped into it pretty um, softly. So I, I went from Cape Horn Young and, and luckily Willie Porches took me on uh, in that transition period from wanting to start my own business. And he always kind of knew that I was wanting to go out and start, but he was mm-hmm. he was so supportive and it was really good to see another way a business could be run because he's probably one of the most professional um, people out there as an old school agent he you know his whole um, CRM is in his head he can remember every single deal he's ever done every property he's ever seen and he's just an incredible man and so um, he I had a little effective business unit or a little um, a little team in in that office of which you know the just about the majority of people are still with me, um, and so when we transitioned and started Mint, I'd already been running that small business unit, mm-hmm. and uh, then it was just a case of making sure that we paid all the bills. We never went into any debt, debt, so we ran the whole thing from a profit from day one, mm-hmm. and have never borrowed any money f- for Mint. So that was a biggie because I think a lot of people go out put a huge amount of pressure on themselves when they start up a business and start borrowing money to buy rent rolls and do that sort of thing mm-hmm. where we just wanted to make sure that at every time, every moment that um, we weren't in debt. So um, we can ride through really tough times and know that we've got lots of money in the bank because we, we operate with a with a high amount of money sitting in our, in our uh, general account. So yeah. um, I think the hardest thing is actually as a business owner in the transition is hiring new people. Yeah. Because it is a total lottery. There's just no guarantee you're going to get a Vivian Yap or a, or a yeah. Peter Clements or a, you know someone out there. We, we all want to hire those people in the hope that we'll get them. But it's interesting, when you get them, it's very hard to retain them. Because mm-hmm. once someone does become a really big writer, they will want higher fees, um, which is totally fair enough. Because you know if, if they're doing huge numbers, they should get to keep a lot more. But even you know, as as a million dollar rider, even if you're on an eighty percent share, there's two hundred thousand dollars you're paying back to the company. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, most most good agents, their ego starts to get to them and say, "Well, I can go out and start to run my own business." Mm-hmm. And then I think that's the danger zone: is throwing yourself out of having a very good income into running your own business. Yeah, yeah. How did you find the transition to managing staff? Because I feel obviously there's hiring and then there's managing them and you've, you kind of touched on keeping them. But I feel like managing staff as well is such a, um, a learnt skill. People think it... It's, it is. And, you know, it was funny because I remember back... And, and I, used, I, I was the manager of the Leadable Hotel, the Claremont Hotel, and, you know, lots yeah. of staff and lots of, 
you know, and that was pretty interesting times. But I can remember I got given a book by my boss when I was at the Claremont Hotel because I'd gone from being just a workaholic um, behind the bar and they stepped me up to manager and I was a really rotten manager. I was no good at managing people. But my boss said, listen, Pete, you're a really hard worker and we don't want to lose you, but you have to read this book. And he gave me The One Minute Manager. Okay. And The One Minute Manager, if anyone hasn't read it and you're in a management position, even if you're not in a management position and just got kids and want to learn how to manage <laughs> them, it's, um, it's a parable. It's very easy to read. I'm a dyslexic person, so reading for me is a struggle. Um, and But I read this book and it changed my world um, because wow. it really just has you understand how to pass authority and responsibility onto people and allow them to be responsible for themselves and report back to you, um, in, you know, in a few sentences. Yeah, but, wow. um, but I think, you know, managing real estate staff is, is tricky because we're all, we all think we're pretty, um, you know, self-sufficient <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I can, yeah, I, I don't know. I suppose it's been a bit of a challenge, but You've got to be slow to hire and fast to fire in real estate now, mm-hmm. I think, particularly mm-hmm. with these new rules. Yeah. Um, but you've also got to make sure if you hire, then the, you've got KPIs in place for anyone new because really as an agency, if all of a sudden you've got three or four people that aren't working and you're paying out the money, then you'll see agencies go broke as well. Yeah. So quickly on those new rules, because we've touched on it a couple mm. of times, what do you anticipate seeing in the next year? Um, I see that all of the established agents that are, are doing good business will be retained. Mm-hmm. It will wipe out a lot of the um, agents out there that are not that great or are not writing that much business. The unfortunate thing is it will get rid of a lot of older agents that just like keeping their toe in the water, mm-hmm. that are good agents and that are excellent service people. Um, I think long term, I'm not sure how it's going to go. I th- as far as hiring new people in because it's such a risky business. Yeah. But that's where I do believe that the whole um, business unit where everyone's got specific jobs, that will allow people to be able to hire someone and say, okay, as a cadet, these are your roles. If And, and that has to be a money-producing cadet in mm-hmm. that specific role. And if that person can't then uh, do what they're meant to do and p- produce those results, they'll be out very quickly. So... It, I think long term will improve our industry, mm-hmm. um, but short term it will be a massive shake up. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wanted to talk about open negotiation quickly, yep. and I guess you, you know you've mentioned how busy you are already, listing yourself, selling yourself, running a business. What pushed you and Brad to decide, you know, to come up with open negotiation and pursue that? Um, yeah, well, I mean we've we've done. Every type of sales method out there. I'm, an, I'm a licensed auctioneer, so as Brad, we, we got taught by one of the best um, auction trainers in Australia at the time um, from Melbourne. So we learnt not only just how to call an auction, but the strategies behind auction, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of West Australian um, auctioneers don't know. Yeah. Um, the We've done offers above, we've done no price, everything. And the thing that is awful as an agent is when you hear somebody whether it be after an auction because they couldn't participate because of terms mm-hmm. s- say to you well i would have paid more than the guy that wanted an auction but i couldn't participate mm-hmm. in private treaty when you'd have um buyers that would say well i missed out because you couldn't tell me how much i needed to pay and although i said it was my maximum at the time I just didn't know how much to pay and I would have paid more, but you couldn't tell me. In fact, I didn't even believe that there was somebody else as another buyer. And that's the terrible thing is that real estate isn't the most trusted profession in the world Mm -hmm. and and buyers don't believe us sometimes when we say that there is an offer in a normal private treaty situation. 
And um, and I was having I was having buyers withdrawing from even you know offers over type situations where they were saying, I'm just not even going to have a go at this if you can't tell me what I need to beat because we've missed out on so many houses and we think it was unfair. So quite literally one morning I woke up and I, I thought to myself, hang on, a contract's not a contract until all parts have been agreed by all parties. So if we take the price off the contract and allow multiple parties to be able to um, at least have the ability to compete against each other with an open process, then that would be fair. So we actually set up a manual version in the in the first instance and it was done by on the final time where people were all sitting at their homes, we had fully signed contracts that the owners had agreed the terms, but the buyers were sitting at their homes, the owner was with me in the office, and what I would do is ring each buyer and say, okay, the current price is such and such, you put in a new price, they would write their new price on a piece of paper, take a photo, SMS it through to me, which wow. then was contractable, <clears throat> and then we'd ring the next person and keep on going around and round robins until it was all done. But what it did is it proved the process, albeit an incredibly clunky one, yeah. and one that was potentially fraught with um, legal problems. Yeah. But we then quickly met Peter Gibbons, who was a, um, and I actually sold Peter's house for him in Claremont, and we did an Offers Above campaign. And um, and when we told Peter about um, this process, he just went, wow, let's do an app around it. And he was an app developer. Okay. And so that's where we created the app. But the app was designed to keep agents involved, mm-hmm. keep, our, um, keep our industry now more trustworthy. Um, and there'd be transparency around it. So buyers now are really loving the fact that they can see prices. Mm-hmm. They don't get to see everyone else's terms and conditions, but now they compete on price. Yeah. And the interesting thing that happens with the app now is when a buyer pulls out because they've gone to their maximum, we talk to the buyers at their homes when they're bidding on, on the app, um, they'll always say, God, we went so much further than we thought we would, but because we saw someone else was bidding, we felt comfortable with that. But Peter, we've truly now met our top limit. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible how many buyers before they get started on the final bidding stage. So that's it. We're not, we've got no more because that's what they all say. They all say, this is my maximum. But when they've got that transparency around what other buyers are paying, that's what has the owner actually get the best price. Mm -hmm. Um, But the app does a million other things because it allows buyers to, to put in their best and final price. And if they knock all the other buyers out, they'd actually don't have to go to the final bidding stage and that sort of thing. So it's got the flexibility of the um, of private treaty, mm-hmm. um, and, but it's got the competitiveness of auction. Um, and it really is just amazing. It's been launched around Australia now. Yeah, I saw that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I suppose the thing that, that I love about it is I'll probably do the same amount of business as I did last year personally, having spent 50% less time doing real estate. Right. So my owners still get the best possible result they can and the best service. Um, but if I was if I was actually not running the open business as well, I probably would have doubled. Yeah. So for for me as an agent, you know, if I was using this and it was just a a gift given to me to be able to to do it, I would have doubled again this year. Yeah, wow. Tell me however many years ago it was when your ex-wife said, enough's enough. Yep. I want you home at night. If you didn't go into real estate, what would you have done? Um, Heaven knows. Um, (laughs) I probably would have been in some sort of sales position somewhere. Um, I would have never, ever been able to be as successful 
as I am now, but it really it does feel like it was a path that was set out for me. Like to have to have not done it when I did it and potentially failed back then and not get got back in. Mm-hmm. I I do kind of I'm not a religious person, but I do feel like I wake up every morning and my life has been set out for me. And um and you know, I've I've got a creed that I wake up every morning, I say to myself, no matter what, something good comes out of everything. Something fantastic is gonna to happen to me today, and money comes to me easily and effortlessly. And those three things um, allow me to be able to recover from the hits of real estate because, again, for you new people out there in real estate, you have got to have thick skin. You've mm-hmm. got to be prepared to take no's because after the first 100 no's, that's when you're going to start making your sales every week. Um, and you've got to realise that there's opportunity everywhere. When I started at Acton, the print, uh, the um, one of the owners of Acton sat me down at the six-month mark and he said, Peter, what are your goals? And I, and I told him, he said, all right, you've got to have a broader stretch on goals because in my first year I was like I want to write a million dollars and you just said that's unachievable yeah. set yourself a broad goal range and so that at least you can be happy when you do something um, but he also said to me every day there is an opportunity in real estate that walks past you you're going to make sure you grab it and do not leave an opportunity um, or do, do not let an opportunity pass you by and that's conversations and that's talking to people about real estate and just being not being scary real estate guy that just is sort of hounding people in the stalker. Yeah. It's more just being a friendly person and finding out what people are doing. Yeah. And my fi- my very final question for you is um, being as busy as you are, how do you balance um, – how have you learned to balance work and life? Because obviously it has been a learning curve, I would yeah. assume, from, from your previous role. So how do you do that now? So I used to – luckily my, my beautiful wife, Fiona, now was ex is well, was ex-hospitality. Um, she used to work very long hours. I used to work up to 110 hours a week, 120 hours a week when I was running restaurants. and yeah. um, So long hours I'm good with. I did used to burn out, and I think I, I now take holidays. I Before I came to see you here, I did my, um, my weekly float tank. So I, I put myself in a float tank for an hour, and I defrag my brain. Nice. Uh, I come out of there with a bunch of new ideas but feeling like just totally regenerated. I have my daily routines of meditating every morning now. I do Pilates once a week. Um, I do that with my wife, so we have a Pilates date, so we get to spend a little bit of time there. Um, but I try and try and have a holiday every quarter. So there's stuff that you've got to do because, and, and I think the guys that, or not the guys, the people that are maybe not the nice people in real estate are the ones that are burnt out. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, you can you know when you can't be nice to somebody that it's time to actually just go and have a couple of days off. So, um, and, and I think that's where you can fall down. And I certainly used to be that guy. I, I, um, I've had a few little nervous breakdowns in real estate where I just had to go and chill for a while yeah. and then come back to it. But now I've, I've got my support system around me, who is my wife and my team at work, that'll point at me and say, Pete, go on. Go and have it's a beer somewhere. A yeah, go and have a float. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. That is it from me. Fantastic. I'm so grateful for your time. You're very welcome. Um, and I'm grateful that we got to see you straight after you float. So you were nice and relaxed. Yeah, I'm and fully relaxed. Feeling, feeling good. Feeling yeah. calm. Look, thanks so much, Pete. And um, maybe we can do this again in you another bet. year and see where open negotiations are. I would love to. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into The Crunch. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. So if you would like to share them, please email me at jess at cribcreative.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe if you enjoyed the show and share it with anyone else you think might like it.